Hello and welcome to another installment of the Y Football Podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Etchers Adogru. This week we'll take a look at how the Newcastle takeover uh, will affect the Premier League and the ethical issues around the takeover and we'll discuss how long it'll take for Newcastle to see success on the pitch. Um, before we start, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Earcast and YouTube. Uh, good, good evening, Etches. Have you gotten over the Foden debacle? Ah, man, what an <laughs> L that was. What an L. So the context is um, I'm doing quite badly in fantasy. Normally I'm top 100 in the world, normally. <laughs> and this year I'm, I'm probably the bottom 10 mil or something. And I decided to do a minus four hit for Tony, for Lukaku. Lukaku's injured, didn't score today, unfortunately. And I was so worried about Norwich because I've, I've kept missing out on clutch players that did really well that I really wanted to get in a Chelsea midfielder. So I was right in that Norwich would get stuffed. Obviously got beaten 7-0, but I picked Kai Havertz, who did absolutely nothing and got hooked oh. after about 65 minutes. And yeah, Phil Foden came out of my team, who bagged 18 points. Which was really, really good. Very successful. <laughs> very, very good all round. Fantastic stuff. What it's was... the minus four. It's the minus four that hurts. I mean, I did the same thing, realistically. I didn't bring in Havertz, um, and I don't have Foden, but I've got Bernardo, who got some points. Yeah. Uh, and was flirting with Havertz. But I did take out Diego Jota for Brian and Buemo, who came off after 57 minutes today. Yeah, nice. Didn't get any returns. Diego yeah. Jota's just scored in Old Trafford. So. Yeah, very nice, very nice. Yeah, so, yeah, nice. unfortunately, I didn't go very well. But apart from that, um, still doing Sober October or Stocktober. That's been boring as hell as well. Um, haven't enjoyed that one bit, but it's the 24th now. So, got a few weeks away. And yeah, it's been a pretty dreary start. Arsenal on a Friday, actually. I was at the Emirates. That was, that was The place was rocking. Mm. The Smith scored. Oh, I was so happy to see Martinez lose. Like, I, I hate Martinez. Really? Yeah, because he just keeps chatting shit. So ever since he left Arsenal, like, oh, yeah, like, I always knew I deserved to be number one. It's like, yeah, 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 mate, write a book. Why are you going on Twitter about it? Like, every day he's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just showing the world how good I always knew I was, but I was never given the chance. It's like, you're boring. Like, you're actually just boring. Go do some gardening or something. Like, I have no time for you. <laughs> so, yeah, he was getting, uh, you're just, he's getting chance about being worse than Aaron Ramsdale from the crowd. But, yeah, it was rocking. Arsenal's best performance of the season from zero to 90. Obviously, the Spurs win was a really good 45, but they played very well. The party was good. The Smith put on a clinic yeah. as per usual. Uh, so, yeah, can't complain there. Um, how are you doing, Jordan? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pretty good. Um, apart from the, the fantasy football wars, which we won't bore people with anymore, because probably he's already quite bored with that. Um, but yeah, can't, can't complain either. We went to the um, bit of context. We went to the Wimbledon game yesterday at Jersey and, and a friend uh, at Plough Lane, the new Plough Lane. Um, I've got to say, the stadium was not what I expected. Like it's a bit of a a bit of a metallic shade. <laughs> it's right, it's let, uh, let's be honest here. Look. I'll be very honest, I left that bit off because Wimbledon were absolutely abysmal. <laughs> I didn't even want to mention that as part of my weekend because that was <laughs> what? Why am I watching why am I watching football as if I've gone back to the nineteen seventies? They were awful. They were actually yeah. so bad at home. Yeah, they were. And I mean, they're in League One, so a Sunderland, so I know a little bit about the league generally. Knew that Wigan were going to be tough for them. Um they end up losing two 0 they just, they, the tactics, everything, there was nothing. There was no, they were playing long ball and kind of like a counter mentality without, 
the personnel to do so or the players high enough to do so in certain areas. Like their striker, I can't call his name, um, I'm going to find out on my, on my phone, but he wasn't really big enough for the long ball. He was getting just completely crowded out by the centre-halves. There's a couple of decent wingers, to be fair, but they weren't high enough for the counter-attack. So it, it, was, it wasn't great. Um, but at the start of the season, they, they were like, I think after like the first three or four games, Wimbledon were like third or fourth. So they had a good start. So I thought, oh, really, they really are pushing on as a club. Because um, obviously they've came from so much and don't really have money behind them. Uh, so, but yeah, it wasn't a great showing yesterday. So seeing as we're on the topic of ABC Wimbledon, if you haven't caught it already, James McLean. So James McLean, former Sunderland players, Dryden knows all too well, had a pretty poor game, getting a bit on in age. The only bit of quality in the game, apart from a few touches from Will Keane, he actually sent, his, the ball's come across his body, he's let it run and he sent the Wimbledon defender into, he sent him to Christmas, Christmas 2021. That's, yeah, that's what he slid into. Yeah. Like He actually sent him flying and then absolutely buried it but on corner. It was a really good finish. Uh, the opener was unfortunately a deflection uh, off the defender, which which went in. But yeah, Wimbledon were awful. We're watching Dulwich Hamlet next week, so hopefully uh, it will be interesting. <laughs> there are a few players I'm actually looking out for at the Hamlet, so I'm looking forward to that one. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, just, just context quickly, that's Aaron Presley, who I was referring to from Wimbledon on loan from Brentford, actually. So it wasn't a bad player, it just didn't really suit the tactics, even. No, he, he wasn't tall enough to be a real imposing physical big man, nor did he have the tech or speed to get in behind. And he, and he wasn't supported very well. So, you know, mm. there's very few strikers in the world that can really create something out of nothing, you know, and he's definitely not one of them. Therefore, the supporting cars had to be a lot better and they definitely, definitely were not. Mm. So, yeah, we'll kind of move on from that and talk about uh, Newcastle. So we, we held off doing this pod for a long time. Um, obviously, the news broke, but Dryden decided not to do that. I wonder why. Um, <laughs> yeah, his allegiance to Sunderland obviously came to the fore and he decided to, mm. to skip this this one out. But it is a good one to highlight um, for a variety of reasons. We, we had a pod recently on Sunderland. So it, it, I feel like now was the time to focus on uh, Newcastle. Um, I think for me as an Arsenal fan, you know, the, it is concerning, which I'll mention later on. And I think the most concerning thing about the bids, or not the bids, sorry, the, the takeover is I just hate Alan Shearer. And like for Alan Shearer <laughs> to be happy just makes me unhappy. You and me both. Yeah, so I just don't like him. Don't like his punditry on BBC. I think it's piss poor. I could do a better job. And... You know what it is with Alan Shearer? He forgets he relegated Newcastle. Like he always talks about like how bad the club is and how like rotten <laughs> it is. And he always seems to forget, like, I know he only managed for what was it like maybe 13 games at the end of the season, maybe even mm. less. Yeah. But he always forgets. He's like, Yeah, like the club's rotten to the core, all the management's been dire. It's like, cob. What were you doing? <laughs> I remember when you were in the dugout, you were clueless. They were getting mm. pumped 4-0 every week. It's like, yeah, so not a big fan of his. Obviously, he's entitled. The the narrative, this is turning into a sheer rant, but I remember the narrative when he when he always gets asked if he could turn back time, would he have picked United or Newcastle? And he always says Newcastle. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Zero trophies, yeah? Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was a club legend at Newcastle. I was like, yeah, so what? There's club legends at Bradford. You're still going to pick Man United, aren't you? Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll leave that one there. But 
I think there are some genuine concerns aside from Alan Shearer's happiness, such as, you know, the ethical issues around the Saudis takeover. I mean, their human rights <laughs> uh, take and standard yeah. is, is, is appalling. Just the whitewashing of billionaires into British clubs. A lot of British clubs actually are already owned by billionaires. They just don't invest their money into clubs as much as others, which is more than fine. I don't know why the average football fan thinks that a billionaire should start investing three hundred million pounds into a football club. Why? Mm. <laughs> it's like, well, invest <laughs> invest roughly a third of my wealth to potentially see this club do well. Uh, you mm. know, it's a topic for another day about billionaires, but you know, I don't see why they should do that. You know, the other half of the top six being priced out, you know, Arsenal and Tottenham. Tottenham, not so much because they've never won the league. But, you know, Arsenal, from where they were, couldn't be further from winning the league than they are now. And to have another potential rival enter the mix is concerning. For Liverpool as well, they often spend within their means. I know they broke the world record for Alisson and Van Dijk for keepers and defenders. But, you know, that was offset a lot of it by selling Suarez before for about 70 million, Coutinho for 100 odd million, 140 mm-hmm. million even, sorry. Um, and often, you know, they do spend within their means. The signings of Robertson, Salah, Mane were 30, 30 odd million pounds. Robertson was about 12. You look at other players in the team, um, Navi Kate is about 50 or they, they, they don't spend absurd money all the time and you can kind of see how that's offset so I think they'll be concerned as well because when you look at the front three um you know change is coming Jota as you mentioned earlier has played quite mm-hmm. well but how do you replace Salah how do you replace Mane you know and if they can't do the Man United which is let's just chuck 150 million every window and see what happens then you're going to struggle because if Newcastle start chucking 150 million every window they will win the league eventually because <laughs> it's just Man-, Man City had a period where they signed a centre-back I'm not even joking I think like four summers in a row for over 30 million they had Mangala then they had Otamendi John mm. Stones I think was before Mangala so John Stones Mangala Otamendi then they went and signed Laporte then they've signed Ake then yeah. they've signed Diaz I think literally every, sing- every single window they spent over 40 30 40 million pounds on defender at least and, you know, some clubs, most clubs, sorry, can't do that. Uh, yeah, what you say about Liverpool is interesting because I was reading your notes and um, I was thinking, oh, no, what's he on about? Um, Liverpool aren't on the midst of a, a rebuild. But actually, yeah, you're right. I mean, I was looking at the ages. I mean, Firmino's 30, Salah's 29, Mane's 29 as well, which doesn't mean, you know, they need to be shipped out right now, but there needs to be a succession plan, which ultimately means investing somewhere, which ultimately means spending a bit of cash. So um, they should definitely be, or probably are, concerned about this takeover um but yeah and i think it also affects the rest of the efl because you even think about sunderland you know i, I, I was going to say as well this this episode is not going to be a punching bag of newcastle united um i assume newcastle fans if they were listening have now turned off <laughs> after hearing your shiva rant so i possibly don't need to say this but um it's not going to be the case um but as a Sunderland fan as our next five years going to look our next 10 years are we going to get back to the premier league who can we emulate to get there? Um, and, you know, having another club in there, regardless if it's Newcastle United or not, one of our rivals or our, our main uh, local rival, um, having another club in there with vast wealth doesn't help that. Um, so, and it arguably makes the kind of barrier of entry higher because if the market continues to inflate, which you just can't imagine it inflating anymore, but if it does, players cost more money. The kind of entry fee, in a sense, of being in the Premier League goes up. That's just the risk of you spending all that money to get in there and not working out. Say someone like Derby, good example. Um, so I do think there's a there's what there's wider um, repercussions and um, far more far reaching than just the prem. But, um, but yeah, it's a it's a very good point, and I think 
yeah, I think it's just a stark reminder of how to win in football. Um, player managerial ingenuity is still required. You know, we still need talent to be operating, and but you need cash. Um, and, you know, the fees involved with football now, the amount you need is actually enormous to reach that top, and they've got that now. So, Yeah, I think, to touch on your points there, you're completely right, you know. Cash is king, and yeah, there are repercussions. There's loads of clubs that have not attempted what Newcastle have, but have tried to go boom or bust. In short, which is what they've done. I mean, that's what COVID's done to a lot of clubs, mm-hmm. Derby and Berry, and uh, some other examples as well. And it just shows you how desperate clubs are getting to reach the top. And <laughs> Newcastle, uh, the epitome of that. But the problem with them is they've got an endless, a bottomless pit of cash now. So, as I said, if they turn into Man United, where it's like, okay. We don't know what the hell we're doing, but if we just chuck 150 million at the team, eventually it'll fall into place. Then you know, I went and chucked, what was it, 65 million at Bruno Fernandes and it happened to just work. I remember at the time, I was mm. like, they don't even need Bruno Fernandes. They didn't even really need him at the time, but then they sign him, they're like, oh yeah, no, we do now. And it's just that type of, ah, let's just chuck some cash in and see what happens. Um, yeah. They are getting absolutely pumped today though. So we'll move on to <laughs> yeah. that in a second. But yeah, the ethical reasons is an interesting one because my personal viewpoint is this, you know, don't throw stones in, in glass houses, you know, like a lot of the owners or not a lot, but there are a few big owners in the Premier League that probably have similar issues around them. Um, you know, Roman Abramovich, uh, I don't know if his money's all cleaned. Is it really? <laughs> Do you know, is, is it really? I mean, Chelsea fans are kicking and screaming, but it's like, come on. Well, Big mm. Roman. I know that obviously Alicia Uznamov was heavily involved in Arsenal, similar things for him. Um, there's, a, there's a few of these owners uh, where you're, you, you do question. We had Taksin Shinawatra at City all those years ago, um, who then eventually left and got in prisons. Mm. Um and it's the same with with the Saudi one as well. Obviously, a state-run club is is mad. I mean, the key reason why the deal went through is it's apparently even though the public investment fund is uh, chaired by the Crown Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salam, he will have no uh, running of the club. Which, if you read between <laughs> the lines, is just absolutely just bollocks. Really, that's just a lie. Um, mm. But the Premier League have decided to give that the green light. Um, and it's just, where does it end? You know, the Premier League clearly doesn't care about where the money is really from. They just want to see, you know, these clubs be bought out for investment. And mm. uh, a lot of these clubs are like that. You know, gone are the days where clubs are run by fans. You know, Elton John at Watford, pretty much, um, you know, Bill Kenwright at Everton. Um, the, mm. Loads loads of examples. I can't think of all of them off the top of my head. No, football's an investment. Premier League is the biggest league in the world. And that's a fact. And Gillian Balaguer keeps singing the praises of Spain, but he's wrong. Um, and <laughs> it's just, it's just, you have to understand that because of the money involved, you are going to get very wealthy men that just want it as investments. And I think that's why this, this, uh, crowned prince has decided to get involved. Um, but yeah, some of the, some of the issues that the crown prince said, he's had a fair few, you know, many have claimed for him to be like a reformist and forward thinking. I think he said women can drive there or they should be able to allow to be to drive. Mm-hmm which shows you how backwards the country is, but it, it, it's promising. But then, you know, you had the air bombardment issues with Yemen, uh, going through a terrible war and poverty at the moment, uh, the murder of the Turkish journalist uh, who was formerly on his advisory team, and the imprisonment of human rights activists as well, with Amnesty International once saying in 2018 he was overseeing as many as 16 executions per month. 16? Mm. Yeah. 
and they still they still behead people there as well i think i think they're they're mad those people i think they do stonings and beheading and all that sort of stuff um i know they definitely do beheading uh, i'm not so sure on stoning um mm. i do know they do firing squads as well which is which is mad mm. um in in this day and age it really is and i just think to have this guy affiliated with a football club, whether or not Abramovich's money is dirty or not, or whether or not Ustamov's is, to have someone directly linked with with evidence to these atrocities is it's just bad for the Premier League because it's just, mm. where does it end, really? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, go back to your earlier point uh, around, you know, glass houses, throwing stones in them. Um, yeah, I think the, the time to make, well... The time to set the rules of who and who cannot own a football club was when the Premier League was formed. Because the problem is, once you let one club be owned by, an, well, not even just a state, but a really wealthy person or organisation, um, then you can't then... Because then if you then say, OK, when Abramovich just came in at Chelsea and then you say, the Premier League says, oh no, we're going to stop this happening now because we don't think it's good for football. Then Chelsea are just going to have some monopoly, aren't they? Because <laughs> then they're just going to be the only wealthy club, and so they're just going to win everything all the time. So then that just ends up with a bit of a snowball effect. Um, arguably, the point should have been when, uh, I mean, they could have prevented states from taking over at uh, football clubs. That obviously wasn't prevented at FIFA or Premier League level. We had Man City come in. Then what do you do? Do you say no states can own football clubs, which they tried to do here, seemingly? Um, but now, then City will be the richest club in the league and no one will be able to get close to them. So then that, that creates a monopoly there. So it's just so difficult to um, to to now impose like strict regulations now that we've entered this period, particularly now. like What they're going to do is just really, really tighten, on, tighten up on who comes into the Premier League in terms of wealth. Well, <laughs> that just means cause we're just going to create a status quo with the with the elite and the, and the non-elite. Um, and yeah, to the, to the ethical issues, the more important issues. You know, we've seen a lot. I've seen a lot as well recently. Uh, we've seen quite a bit on Twitter around um, homophobia in Saudi and allegations of uh, homosexual people being, you know, offered treatment to like cure their affliction. Um, you know, it, inverted commas between both those 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 uh, those phrases. Um, and it is just an interesting point overall of whether uh, whether all these things should be relevant for the state's acquisition of a sports sports sporting team or a football club. I mean, I agree with you. I think it should because I mean, football is highly competitive. Hence, why this is even happening. Um, you know, it's, it's highly competitive, and clubs want to win, fans want to win, everyone wants to win. But it also has values, um, and that can do a lot of good. I mean, values just generally. You know, if you're me playing football on a, on a Sunday league team on a on a weekend, um, a lot of good values that can that can teach. It can teach for for a child who's growing up. You know, sport can be very good for them in their development. This just seems the takeover just seems to rubbish all those values. Like if you're allowing an owner to um, who doesn't take into consideration human rights or values in their own in their own state, then what is that saying to all these these kids who are watching football, playing football, all these all these fans? I just think it sends the wrong message. Um, and to an extent as well, I mean, you've got like footballers who do a lot of charity work, for example. You know, people love lambasting footballers for being X, Y, Z because they see them in the Daily Mail um, having had an affair or or being gambling addicts or alcoholics when they've retired or something like that. You know, a lot of fo- footballers do a lot of good charity work. Um, but then what does, th- what does this say? You know, if you're Jamal Lascelles, as a random example, say he does loads of charity work locally in Newcastle. I don't know if he does, I'm just making this up. But how could he continue doing that when his football club are committing trust- trustees elsewhere? <laughs> and he-, he can continue doing that. And I hope he and, you know, footballers actually do do it. Uh, a lot of good charity work locally and, and generally. Uh, I hope they do continue doing that, but um, 
you know, just kind of like, it's just a bit of a, conf- a conflict where you have all these good, these messages around. I mean, we've seen with the Premier League recently with uh, Black History Month. Um, and I've seen, you know, when I'm playing fantasy football, for example, you go on the Premier League app and there's loads of stuff on there about anti-racism. Okay, great. Yeah, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be sending those messages. But then you're allowing an owner of, <laughs> or sorry, the the um, entity that controls a state to run a football club and they've got such bad history of anything, of human rights atrocities. And it's just like, is that not a conflict? I think obviously the Premier League now glorifies wealth, you know, which is sad to see. Fans just want the richest men and women at their clubs, just like, you know, and, and I get why, because football is a very simple game to the average fan. You know, you have a rich owner, you have a good manager, and, you know, success normally comes. Obviously, it's not as simple as that. There's loads of, uh, you know, specific examples and reasons as to why. But fans don't care. They just want to see success. And, you know, now that we've getting this Middle Eastern money in the Premier League, because before it was, it's an interesting trend. We had the Eastern Europeans, as in the Russians, coming in. And then we had the American takeover Mm. with the Glazers and a few other examples as well. And then we've kind of gone back to that bottomless pit of cash. But this time it's from the Middle East, uh, or the Far East even, in some cases where, you know, they're coming into the Premier League now. And, you know, everything else kind of seems to go out the window, like in terms of, as I mentioned earlier, people, you want good people running your club. And I know that's overrated, but you want people that actually care. To be fair to Abramovich, he's a big fan. I know that Leicester really loved what their owner's done there as well. But mm. just because someone has a bucket load of money doesn't even mean you'll get success. I mean, some of these owners have left clubs in ruin. You know, the Anzi issue in Russia where they had Eto and Roberto Carlos. And after two years, the guy thought, no, nah, I can't be Arsenal anymore. <laughs> and, and, he, and, and he left it. Malaga as well. That's why Arsenal signed Santa Gazzola for peanuts. They went and invested heavily on loads of players. And the owner thought, can't really be asked here mm-hmm. and he let them go as well we've got Everton who have Fahad Mashiri who was actually a shareholder at Arsenal and they haven't really improved they went and got Carlo Ancelotti they spent loads they took Leicester's head of recruitment Steve Walsh they then went and signed Michael mm-hmm. Keane for too much money Jordan Pickford for probably too much money although 30 million pound now for a keeper I mean it, it, I mean to be fair I mean Jordan Pickford's fee at the time, for, uh, considering where Sunderland were, was a, was a mad fee. But, yeah. you know, as we spoke out about Foden and uh, Grealish, it's all contextual. But on the flip side, you know, I, I haven't seen Pickford really delivering on that for them. I know he is a good keeper. But to, to highlight Everton, they just wasted a lot of cash. I mean, uh, Balassi wasted money on him. Um, the, the list goes on. Walcott for twenty million pounds, Iwobi for twenty six million or twenty five million pounds. So it's, it's all been a waste. So it highlights that it's not just about having this bucket load of money; it's how you spend it as well. You know, I think Sal and Sugar once said, "You can't run a football club like a business." You know, what? I've actually quoted this quote like a hundred times this podcast, but I just think it's so interesting because he used to run Spurs and. You can't run a football club like a business. You need to invest and risk huge amounts in order to get the results people want and crave. Because what? You're risking everything. It's like putting it all mm. on black. You know, uh, we had the issue where we're seeing clubs like Fulham come up, spend £100 million and go straight back down. Then I'm seeing people saying, oh, the reason why Norwich get relegated all the time is because they don't invest. Invest? Invest how? And what happens now if they go and say, okay, we spent £150 million on a bunch of Europeans that we had no idea whether they would do well in England or not. Then you're stuck with them. 
in the championship mm. on big wages, big contracts. And then the same pundit goes and says, yeah, they're poorly run because you see, they shouldn't really have signed all of those players because now look where they are. And and, and that's kind of the problem, really. It's just the way football clubs are run and all sense goes out of the window. It was Jason Cundy on TalkSport, right? I saw it on Twitter saying that Norwich need to invest a lot of money because it's not fair on their fans. It's not fair on the club and the team that they're just happy to, or seemingly happy as if they're happy to get relegated. <laughs> but they're seemingly happy just not spending money going up into the Premier League um, because their team's good enough to do so. They're not, they're not overhaul it or invest or spend. Um, and then they go down as if like they're aware it's going to happen and they're just happy for it to do so and it's wrong. But I completely agree with you. Like, So what happens if they spend well above their means, which, as I said before, talk about the entry fee into into the Premier League, there is almost an entry fee because when you get there, you've got to either got to spend a lot of money to compete. Um, and what do you do? Do you spend hundreds of millions, if you've got it, on a lot of players, you end up getting relegated because they're so saturated now. Um, and like you said, you're going to be lumbered with that. Even Sunderland, we, I mean, we had an owner who had a lot of money at the time. He's a billionaire, uh, Ellis Short. Um, and yeah, at the time, even when he took us over, I think it was like 2008, you know, we were quite a wealthy Premier League club back then. Um, chucked money at the first team, uh, players like Stephen Fletcher for 12 million, Connor Wickham, um, Jack Rodwell, all these players. And it didn't work. And then we ended up in the championship with Didier and Dong still playing, Lamine Corner still playing. We had Catamore playing in the, in the in League One because we couldn't get rid of him. Because you can't, what, you're going to sell a player that's from a relegated club who's on 40k a week? What? <laughs> he's not going to go there for half the, he's not going to leave for half his wage. And the buying club aren't going to pay his wage because I think, well, he's not worth 40k a week because he's, he's just, you know, he's been part of a relegated club. How is he worth the investment? So, it's it's definitely bang on. What's also bang on is the um, what you're saying around fans and like or just the, or Sky Sports in particular fetish, fetishizing wealth as like as like a kind of like a marker of quality or something to be like um, that should be ordered. Um, I just find it a bit unsavory. Kind of happens in the US, although some sports in the US actually have like salary caps and do a lot better job of of trying to restrict wealth than in, than, than football does. Um, also seen like Saint Maximin for um, Saint Maximin, Saint Maximin for uh, Newcastle tweeting recently, and there's absolutely no way he he controls the majority of his Twitter, by the way. But anyway, different point. He t- was being tweeting recently, saying how it's he's just like can't believe it's happened. He's really happy it's happened, and it's so deserved for the football club. I just find it a mad rhetoric that I mean that a club deserves that sort of wealth. Like no one club deserves success in football. I just find it mad that any club, Newcastle, anyone and their fans seem to think they're all this kind of, this type of wealth. I think for a lot of people, it's less about the wealth and more that, you know, a lot of Newcastle fans are really happy to get rid of Ashley. I get that. I completely get that. And when they're talking about being deserved, I think they mean not only deserved that, that he's now gone, but also that they've got now a decent shot at, at doing well. I am skeptical whether or not fans would be, would have been as, um, kind of forceful and uh, keen to have the takeover as they did, you know, marching to government, <laughs> having, having fans march to uh, to London, to government, if it had been like I don't know, an Everton-style takeover where they're wealthy but not wealthy enough to compete at the top. I think a lot of fans have got drunk on the idea of becoming one of the best clubs in the world and now they can do. Um, but yeah, I don't think any club deserves success, but fans are always going to look at their old club through the rose-tinted glasses. So, you know, it does happen. 
Yeah, the whole ethics behind owners is an interesting one and how we, how we glorify wealth. I think you're, you're completely spot on about that. But yeah, I guess it's because it's it's a marker, like you said, of how how you compete in modern football. Like it's just the 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 goalposts are moving so quickly. I think we were born at a time where they were beginning to move, and we've been through a period where it's accelerated so much now that it's mad. I mean, on a side note, think about all the players that City wanted to sell in the summer. So Laporte and. Sterling and Mares, no one could buy them because Premier League clubs, you know, were probably a bit of a step down without any disrespect to them, apart from Chelsea, who probably didn't need those players, or maybe Liverpool, who probably didn't need these players on those wages. They couldn't go to Europe. And it's just it, because they yeah. couldn't afford them. And the reason why I'm highlighting that point, which is a different argument, is because Newcastle are going to accelerate even further. All of this wealth just makes the gap bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, what? You can't have a state funding a club. PSG have shown that. PSG literally had a bid. I think the bid for Mbappe ended at 180 million. So they would have got profit on a guy who has one year left. And they said no. And it ties <laughs> back It ties back to Alan, Sh- uh, Alan Sugar's point is you, know, you, you don't run football like a business. They have so much money. They can say no to 180 million mm. on a guy with one year left who doesn't look like he's going to sign a new deal. It's mad. The game's actually gone mad. It's a term used around a lot, but you do wonder with clubs like Newcastle coming in with fans and St. Maximan saying the club are really lucky, you do wonder where it's going to end because now other owners are going to be thinking, what's the point? Leicester, well, Leicester can be thinking, what's the point? Run well, mm. good owner, invest yeah. good owner, you know, missed on top four tiers in a row. What's the point? Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, you know, oh, we've got all this data analytics to look at that. What's the point? Just get blown out of the water mm. by Newcastle now, who aren't entitled to anything. They've been dog crap all for the last longer than a decade. Even when they were half good, they didn't do anything. I think they came second twice. Maybe they came second twice. It's not as if we're talking mm. as if Newcastle in the 90s are winning like every FA Cup and every European trophy. But mm. yeah, it, it, it's it's gone mad. And I think it's it means a lot for the top six, you know. I think City, Chelsea, Man United, I mentioned earlier, will sleep with one eye open. I think they will because they have endless bits of money. Chelsea because of their owner, City because of their owner, Man United because we forget that, I think, well, how many did Ferguson win? 13 out of 18. That made them such a big juggernaut brand that, mm. you know, they're still a behemoth in terms of merchandising and commercialization and tours and sponsorship deals, even though they haven't won a title since 2010. 2011, I think their last title was. Um, so, you know, I think those three clubs are, are pretty safe, even though they'll, they'll, they'll watch it closely. Uh, they wouldn't really want another team to join them. So I think they'd be against that. I think, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the most concerned clubs would be Liverpool, Arsenal, Spurs. Um, you know, I just think they'll be thinking, we're already no. far away. From it. <laughs> we're already far away from the top three, especially City and Chelsea. Um, Liverpool, sorry, aren't, you know, they're in the mix, they're pumping United now 5-0, but they mm. will be thinking as well, you know, how do we compete? I saw a really interesting piece on Liverpool, which was COVID has probably hindered them from doing what they do best, selling their very good players at a premium cost and, and restructuring. You know, now they, if, if they were to, I'm not saying they would have, if they were to have sold Salah, Mane or... Um, Salamane or Firmino because their contracts all expire in 2023 they can't now all the big European sides mm. they would have sold them to are poor 
and now they're coming up to like one and a half years left. So even they're a bit stuck because you're holding on to assets worth about about what, about 300 mil nearly, give or mm, take, in yeah. terms of wealth for those three players. Maybe more, depending who buys it, but now they haven't got a market. So then for them to go and dip into their pockets and invest in a star new front three or two is, is very, very difficult. For the wider Prem, we mentioned Leicester before, it's frustrating to be a Leicester or a Brighton because, you know, these clubs have run themselves quite well, recruited well, and they're just blown out of the water. Mm. absolutely blown out of the water we could see Brendan Rodgers go there I'm not he said he's not interested we could see Graham Potter go there he's also he's not interested but money talks if they see oh hang on they've actually got a good director of football and hang on they've promised me what you know Leicester couldn't deliver me a new CM and that's why we didn't cup top four Newcastle can promise you the world yeah and, and, and you know that that's kind of the sad thing for these other clubs that run themselves quite well because how do you compete then? Again, you know, the goalposts move even further behind. You get two tiers at the top now. Top six turns into a top four with the other three middling clubs kind of hovering around and you've got a big batch of clubs behind them. You know, the self-sustaining model, which many Prejvenga used to bang on about every season, self-sustaining, self-sustaining, is being deemed not fit for purpose. Because <laughs> it's just about, well, well, who's the richest? Oh, forget self-sustaining, just chuck money at it. That seems to be the new status quo. Yeah, no, no, agreed. And uh, Newcastle were linked. Um, I've been linked in recent, uh, well, recent days with Luis Diaz at, at Porto, um, and allegedly are going to be um, released. Well, activating his release clause, which I think is about sixty-five million pounds. That's where it's so dangerous because you, that's why the market gets inflated. When I mean, I suppose when Mbappe gets bought for like two hundred mil or Neymar, then that obviously. Um, inflates the market <laughs> possibly more than anywhere else but when players that are like someone like Luis Diaz I don't know anything about Luis Diaz to be honest I, I, I don't know he could be the next best thing but when you're playing actively that much more than his market value to bring someone in the market just goes crazy because it's just a knock-on effect um, and if they, if they have, that's what they have to do that's kind of what you have to do when you just start on this journey City had to do it to an extent um, you have to bring players in well above their market value because otherwise why would they come they're, they're the start of this building blocks of this project so um there isn't yet that allure i think they do have an allure in the sense that um because they have so much wealth you know if you're a player go there now i've seen dominic cavalloon linked with them if you're dominic cavalloon and you go to, to to united you might think well yeah i'll go now i'll be part of this project eventually they're gonna be really good and i'm gonna be part of that and that's possibly why Sam Maxman is getting really excited because he's thinking, well, I'm probably the best player in this team. Chances are I won't be disposed of right away in this project and I can build with them. Uh, so it is interesting. Um, but, I mean, as you said, the self-sustaining model isn't really fit for purpose. You know, Aston Villa had a, like a wage-to-revenue ratio that was well over 100%. Sheffield United also had that when they got promoted. You know, Aston Villa, it's worked out for them because they... You know, when you spend above your means and you do well, then it's justified, isn't it? The end justifies the means because then you get the the revenue from the Premier League and you you sustain yourself and you do well. Um, when it doesn't go well, you end up, you know, with the bottom of the championship with a points deduction, um, seemingly about to fall into League One. Um, and so, yeah, um, the self sustaining model self sustaining model isn't really doesn't really exist anymore because um, for those clubs that aren't the elite, they've got to spend far more than than what they actually earn to compete yeah massively so that's the thing isn't it because as i said these goalposts is everywhere it's not just the european leagues it's within england as well you're seeing all this money being spent at the top than other clubs what do you aspire to do 
I'm just going mm. to the point where there are some clubs that can never really aspire to win the league. I think there was yeah. definitely a time, you know, probably before we were born, but even in that period of time where you could have seen the early United sides and thought, you know what, with the right investment, right team, we can get there. I don't really think promoting clubs can ever dream of the Prem. And I know people be like, oh, what about Leicester? Yeah, it doesn't really matter what Leicester did. I, I just don't think it, I just don't think it's possible. Like, and there will be a team maybe in within the next forty years, there will be a side that does it because there's always one year where the, the Premier League can be sleeping. There always will be a season where yeah. people are off, and yeah, that's fine. But it's the the gap's too large, and yeah, Newcastle are just accelerating. That. I, I really think Newcastle will really accelerate it because the top four kind of t- the top four is or the top six is already kind of a top seven or eight because West Ham and Leicester are doing well. You've got a legitimate side now to make that a top seven, you know, in terms of wealth and finance, as a, that as a forget what Leicester and West Ham have done, because I know they're very good, but their wealth is nowhere near the top six, but you've got a, a, a true seventh side now that have money to go toe to toe with them, which makes mm. the whole league more congested. Forget Champions League and Europa League, it's, it's, it's the rest of the league as well. Um, and then the final kind of question is, you know, how far can Newcastle go? I mean, yeah, I think the majority of fans in the country want to see them liquidated. Um, but, <laughs> but in all honesty, it's it, if and and kind of when they invest in the infrastructure of the club, then uh, Premier League is is certainly possible. Um, how soon is the real question? I think City kind of did it as well. There's a few lost years where they sign a Rubinio type. So Isco is a very good example. They'll sign an Isco type, European pedigree, international, you know comes as the first mm. wave is pretty crap either because you know he's not used to the league and the style doesn't suit him and the caliber of player isn't there yet but that kind of kick starts the whole process and then after two or three years of kind of buying up and coming european talent comes the marquee signing i think for yeah. city it was aguero I think Aguero at the time was, you know, he was at Atletico, but he's one of Europe's, you know, up and coming, but elite marksmen. And when they signed him, I thought, yeah, they they, they mean business now. Like yeah, it's definitely. not, it's not signing Alano and like people like that. It's like, this is, you know, big money. I think it was 40 million at the time. This is the guy to really say, yeah, we've arrived now. You know, we wouldn't have got this player three, four years ago. And when Newcastle, if they invest well on and off the pitch, I'm talking good director of football, um, revamped the academy. I think I heard a point in the last pod from our guest. The academy is crap. You know the Long brothers aren't very good. Who else have they produced? Andy Carroll. Long staff brothers. Yeah. Uh, Andy Carroll is not great. Who else has come through? Uh, Paul Dummett. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Dummett. Anyone else? What happened to What happened to Roland Aaron's? Is that his name? Lando Aaron's. Yeah, I don't know actually. Um, but he's not. He's not. Um, he's not playing for them now. So, yeah. and he's certainly not at Barcelona. So yeah, we we can mm. assume he tailed off. So they've got a lot to get right in ten years, or if they were to win the Premier in a decade, which I think they will do. I think it'd be very close. They may not. They may not actually do it, but I think they'd be very close to doing yeah. so because. I think squads turn around really, really fast. I think people kind of underestimate that. People are like, oh yeah, how do you ship all of these players? Newcastle have got a situation now where, because they're not running a club like because they're not running a club like a business i could legitimately see them saying okay you eight players don't want to go we will just leave you out the squad because we can pay for you to be here we don't want you here and then we'll just buy new players whereas obviously clubs like arsenal Tottenham, they could do that but you know the way they're run it would be 
big negatives on their wage, big profits on their loss. No one really knows the FFP. No one fully knows. We've done an episode on it before, but no one really knows how that kind of kicks in to avoid all yeah. of that. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it is worth noting uh, City haven't won a Champions League still for all their glory. Five Premier League titles. Mm-hmm. I think five League Cups, a few FA Cups. Um, they haven't actually won the Champions League. So it, it could be a very long road for Newcastle because they have arguably one of the most innovative and creative managers of all time. In my opinion, they have have had some of the best players to walk in the Premier League in Aguero, David Silva, Vincent Kompany, uh, Yaya Torre, the current crop now of Kevin De Bruyne. They, they've had some real, real talented players. They've got arguably such a deep squad now that are fantastic, yet they still haven't won it. So it may not be as plain sailing as I expect it to be. So that's worth noting. Yeah, and neither is PSG. It's the other two, the actual two. Yeah, true. That's a good point. run football, uh, football clubs haven't won it. And they've came close. So it's it was kind of a matter of 90 minutes. And in the end, it's not as if it's not feasible. But yeah, I think... Um, I think it's certainly possible that uh, we've talked about this before about um, Newcastle being able to win it within 10 years. Um, your point on Liverpool actually adds to that because even though Liverpool were starting from a better front and have got a big history behind them, which means they've got a draw to them, the team that you know Rodgers was managing compared to what Klopp then built, always built under Klopp, um, under Martin Edwards, the sporting director, that didn't take very long. I mean, overnight, suddenly they had you know players like Salas, Salah Firmino, um, Marne came in and... Um, I'm not too sure if Mino was signed under Klopp, but you, you get what I mean. That that shift from like the team before with Joe Allen <laughs> and Cole, yeah. suddenly you had this team that that actually won the Premier League and with the right manager. And I know he came in with a philosophy that just blew a lot of teams out of the water. Um, but in that, in theory, if they, if they were to do that sort of get it right like that, then in theory they could win the, the Premier League within within uh, within ten years. I think what might hamstring them hamstring them a bit might become a bit hamstrung with is. Your point around Aguero is really, really key, I think, and why I think it might take a little bit more time. Sergio Aguero, like when Fernando Torres went to Liverpool, Sergio Aguero was the hottest property in Europe. I remember at the time, I can't remember exactly when he signed, he was the hottest property in Europe, like when Fernando Torres went to Liverpool. And I just don't think Newcastle, the the way in which the market is now and the the amount of players that are in there, the amount of wealth that, say, the PSG have, City have, the rest of the Prem have, I'm not so sure. It would almost feel like it'd be almost. I don't know if it would be. But it'd be almost like Erling Haaland going to Newcastle. I just don't think that would happen. Perhaps yes, Haaland's a bit more. Is a bit more. It's it, it, it's like it's like Alexander it's like Alexander Isaac going to Newcastle. I'd say, in terms of <laughs> in, yeah. in terms of like profile, because yeah, I know what you mean like Dortmund are kind of because Atletico then aren't Atletico now. They were kind of up and coming. So you need a side that's like not yeah. a cha- not a Champions League regular, but it's a decent side. You know, you're looking yeah. at a Sociedad, and that player is very good. So it's like an Alexander Isaac going to Newcastle. I mean, I could, again, the reason why Aguero probably moved, and the reason why I could actually see an Isaac going, is because of the fee. Forty million back then was a lot of money. I'm sure everyone wanted him, but not for that price. When you're the new kid in the block, you can pay it. I think Isaac has got a buyout of sixty-five million. You know, clubs would be saying he could actually be worth well above that. We're talking in the hundreds, but. Do I want to pay that now? Probably not. Mm. Newcastle could say, actually, yeah, we will pay that right now. And then that's kind of how these guys come along. I mean, it's up to him, really. You know, I think Newcastle as well as City are buoyed by the fact that they got the Premier League behind them. So forget the club. Mm. Like, look, if, if the club's if the club's crap, put two years in there, put your put your name on it. 
you know, showcase your talent, you can go elsewhere. If it works out as Man City did, then well, you're laughing really because you'll you'll be the poster boy everywhere. And I think mm. that that's kind of what I expect Newcastle to do, but we have to wait and see. Yeah, and what we haven't really talked about loads, even though it's kind of it's kind of obvious, is wages. I mean, we talk about a loads yeah. in the Premier League, you know. Um, Newcastle haven't got that history that Liverpool do. And when Fernando Torres went there, the, Liverpool were not, you know, it took, obviously Liverpool didn't win the league, the Premier League until under um, Jurgen Klopp. Um, and for, Fernando Torres was even more revered at that time than like someone like Sergio Aguero was when he went to City. He was literally the next big thing and he went to Liverpool, which mm. I think, and he went there because of that history, I think. That's what I felt anyway. Um, Newcastle haven't got that kind of allure. Um, but what they do have is cash to spend on wages. And that's why a lot of players do go to the Prem. I mean, you see someone like Leon Bailey, for example, going from Bayer Leverkusen, who are challenging for Europe, to Villa. Why is he going there? Yeah, I think, yeah, uh, exactly. He's going there because Premier League club can pay him more than what a European-rated club can, can do it, um, in on the continent. So um, the wages will, will accelerate that. And if they can, you know, if they pay what they need to, then they will. Um I do think the league's also more saturated, which is another reason why I think it'd be more of a challenge than what City had. It's just that, you know, the barrier is just that, that bar, sorry, is just a bit higher. Um, but like you, I do think they'll win the Premier League. Uh, I think it's inevitability. It's just about how long. Um, but investment in the club internally is very, very key. And I think you're right to mention that. I think Sunderland, again, it's not the same example because they've never had that sort of wealth. No one has. But on a micro level, as I said before, Ellis Short came in. And he um, just spent money on the first team and didn't see the picture of the Leicester style of saying we need to build in the club. This is, this is like over 10 years ago. So, you know, it's easy to say maybe with hindsight that he should have done X, Y, Z, but spent money on the first team, did not build from within, did not did not spend money on, say, signing, signing a team, for example, bringing a team in in terms of data recruitment or whatever. And then if you get that wrong on the pitch, you know, them short-term Slashes of cash on one player. If it works out, great. That 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 does you for another couple of years. But when it doesn't, you've got your lumber with that player, and it it just doesn't. You know, on the long term, it's not a good strategy. So that's that is a. If they do that, then that I think their long term success is guaranteed, and then that'll be another reason why it takes a bit more time because they'll have to do that first. But these these links to likes of Luis Diaz, sixty five million, suggest otherwise. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, we'll wrap up there. It's quite a long one today. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting topic that I'm glad we finally done, actually, even though I'm still pinned, pinned by the, the takeover. Um, but yeah, thank you, Richards, for uh, pulling together the notes. Uh, thank you all for listening. Please subscribe to us on our platforms. I said at the start. And um, yeah, we'll catch you next time. Cheers, guys. Cheers. <laughs>